Welcome back, everybody, to a new series of episodes of Radiant Others, a Klezmer Music podcast. My name's Dan Blacksburg, and welcome back to my podcast. We've been off for a couple months, but I'm really glad that we're back and we get to share with you new episodes, especially today's episode featuring accordionist Sana Murica. Let's take a listen. Sana is a klezmer accordionist living in Berlin, and she's really one of my favorite accordionists playing klezmer these days. I think she just has a great feel, and her time and rhythm are just awesome. It's always a joy to play with her. Sana mostly collaborates with other klezmer musicians, most notably in groups like Chuppa with Christian David on clarinet, or now with Trio Yas with both Christian and Sana and Guy Shalom on drums. She also plays in Klezgoyim and the great band You Shouldn't Know From It, which is also based in Berlin. I met Sana maybe 12 years ago, either at Klez Camp or one of the first times I went to Europe in Krakow, Poland. And she's just really a great person, and I don't get to see her enough. I think we talk about in the episode, the last time we saw each other was maybe in 2014, and this episode was recorded in November when I got the chance to play with Sana on a new project that Michael Winograd put together. We also recorded this episode with uh, recording equipment that belongs to Michael and some of his housemates. So thank you to the Webster and to Michael for making this one all possible. So it's been a couple months since I put up any new episodes of Radiant Others. I've been playing a lot. We did this recording project with Michael, and we had a really, really amazing experience at Yiddish New York over Christmas week in December, and I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast, and certainly several of the people who have been on it, maybe all of them, were uh, taught or performed or were generally around at Yiddish New York. Putting out these episodes in small batches of three or four every couple months was always my plan in doing this podcast, and I want to thank you, everybody who has been tuning in and who has subscribed and listens to these. It's pretty awesome to have gotten a lot of feedback from a lot of people. And what's really awesome is being able to have conversations with these musicians that I've known for a long time and getting to know new things about them and learning things that I never knew before or getting to talk about stuff that we've just never gotten to talk about. And that's especially true with Sana. I did not really know a lot about how she came to play klezmer or what her early years playing klezmer were like. And I certainly didn't know that she had a small repertoire of original compositions that she's written, one of which you heard at the top of this episode, and you'll hear some more later. But that's really exciting too. So I'm just really glad to be able to do this podcast. And if you like what you're listening to, please subscribe, rate and review it in iTunes, Tell your friends about it. Put it out on social media. Just let everybody know that this is happening. It really helps a lot, and I really appreciate it. This episode is the first of a series of episodes that I'm really excited about, and I can't wait to share all the other interviews that I have coming up with you all. But for now, without further ado, here's my conversation with klezmer accordionist and all-around awesome person, Sana Murica. Thanks, Sana. It's so nice Thank to see you. you. Likewise. Yeah, we it's don't get to see each other. I know. I can't remember how many, how long it's been. It must have been some f- festival. Yeah. So maybe 2014 in Krakow. That must have been the year. Yeah. So I was there, and then you were there. I mean, yeah. If wow. you remember the year, then then it will be that year. That was because the last I time don't... I was there. Okay. Um. So yeah, you know, you live in Berlin, mm-hmm. but. You're in New York now. How's it been going? It's a lot of fun. 
uh, I'm very much enjoying Michael's music and the musicianship of all the colleagues that are in this project. Um, it feels like, um, what is the word, like a real great chance to do this. Or I'm really happy to be able to do this. Like, um, I can't find the word right now. I'm thinking. Um, but I'm just really, really happy to play this specific style of music because this style is not so much present in Europe, I think. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I don't. I think what Michael is doing with this new record, and who knows, it probably won't be out by the time this mm -hmm. gets released. But, uh, yeah, it's a very American sound, right? Yeah. yeah. But I think that the European sound is kind of like, you guys took some stuff that you heard from here and there and sort of made your own version of things, right? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. But here it's like being in the middle of, you know, and in maybe in Europe you have a little bit of like the the influence from, from the old recordings mm -hmm. and maybe a little bit from the, you know, the influence from the later recordings or from what people are doing here. But here now I feel like being right there <laughs> that is a lot of fun it's very concentrated yes he's very yes. he's going for a really specific thing on this yes. record yes totally <clears throat> but you've been doing some other stuff while you've been in new york uh well not yet actually <laughs> I, um because i just want to be fit and focused for the recordings so uh i've been rehearsing i've been practicing uh i've been knitting a bit because that calms me down and i've been to strands to the bookstore the book mm -hmm. did you get anything no not this time <laughs> okay but you can go back uh yeah last year last time i was here which is a long time ago i got a really nice book about uh needlework embroidery oh. i remember the last time you were here i think we figured out it was 11 years ago yeah something must have like been that. something like that right i mean i remember your kids were really young hmm. it went out for chinese food Do you remember that place it was like it's, it had a two menus. It was like Chinese food and and Mexican food on the same menu. I don't really. Oh, okay. No, it was no, near Joanne's old Joanne Bortz's old okay, apartment. Okay. Anyway, we had gone. See, didn't we go see kids in Yiddish or something? Yes, like that? we did. Yeah, we I did. feel like there was a big <clears throat> dinner after that, and then I went home. Okay. Klez Camp. Wow. Hmm. Hmm. So, did you? Was that your only time at Klez Camp? No, I've been there several times. I think it must have been. Two times, okay, maybe th three, two or three. I have my memory's not so good, but two times at least. So, but you had been playing klezmer music for a while before you ever went to Klez camp. Yes, yes. So when did you start playing klezmer music? It must have been ninety-one. Whoa, I think. Yeah, that's a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> yes, um, I was studying musicology at the time mm -hmm. in Amsterdam and I saw a television documentary about klezmer music it was a uh, jumping night in the garden of Eden yeah and I was like whoa that's what I want to do and that's where it started wow I didn't know that. that documentary that's so cool right right and at that time it was sort of hard to find material right like now you type in klezmer at google and you can go anywhere. You can buy anything. Yeah. Uh, but at that time, it was sort of hard. Um, I met a violin player who was also studying musicology. Um, so that's when we started making music together. And also at the same time, this happened. Um, yeah, parallel. My mother was in Ireland visiting her parents. And when she came back, she brought me a present, which was a CD of um, Brave Old World, Klezmer Music. Wow, yes. very cool. Yes. It's kind so, of new at the time, I think. Yes, yes. And it's funny that you brought it from Ireland, I think. Um, and that CD, I think, is still my favorite. Mm. That just blew me away. And um, yeah, so the violinist and me, we started playing together with a little bit of sheet music that we had. And then she went to a workshop of Brave Old World in Berlin. Um, and she came back and she really had a good time. And she said, they're going to do another workshop in Bad Piemont in 95. This must have been, let's go there. And we went there. And by that time, we had become a band, like with five people. 
five girls at the time. Whoa. Yes, that was What was fun. the band called? Dikalas. Dikalas, you're sure? Of course. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. So we went there with the five of us and we learned very much. Hmm. Yeah. Ah. So, wow. Okay, so one of the things that has sort of come out in some of these conversations mm-hmm. is that when I started playing Klezmer, the distance between when I started playing Klezmer mm-hmm. and when I started playing professionally mm-hmm. was like pretty short. And mm-hmm. part, partially it's because when I got involved, because when it was in music school, but it was about three years or so, when I st- or not necessarily professionally, but when I started playing with the people who I looked up to. Right. You know, right. whether it was Frank London or Alan Byrne or something yep. like this. And that was a really, for me, it was a really short time. And I think for some of the other folks, it was pretty quick too. But for a lot of people, especially of, I mean, the older generations, those mm-hmm. were those people. So it doesn't really count. But I feel like, I've talked to you and I've talked to Pete Ruszewski, who I think is sort of like in a middle, you're sort of in between my age and their age, right? right? And yeah. it, you guys kind of did it for a while before mm. you found a place. Yeah. You kind of got plugged into whatever became or was the scene back then. Yeah. Yeah. So how many people were coming to, do you know how, do you remember how many people were at this uh At this thing, workshop. This workshop. I don't remember exactly. I think it must have been like maybe 40 people or so, 40 mm-hmm. 50 maybe even we started every day with dancing to live music on the court it was in a little castle and it was autumn and there were like you know brown and yellow and orange leaves all around and it smelled like autumn and then the music and us dancing on the courtyard was really very nice that's awesome (laughs) yes so did it feel like klezmer music was a thing around or was it sort of like this was the first time you know this was the first time you're going together with all these people who do this music for me that was the first time but it was people that came from different places um i have the feeling that now people are also more mobile it's it's cheaper to get around and you know that's that sort of stuff so i think at the time we were almost the only ones from abroad i think most of the other people were german whereas nowadays at workshops it's much more international already right so in holland at the time there was only i think three bands around that Mm. i know of two in amsterdam and one in the north of holland Mm. and um it lasted a little while before i went to germany um and explored that scene so to speak yeah Mm. um so wait to go back for a second you said Mm. your mom is from ireland i didn't know that no she is dutch okay but my grandpa parents emigrated in their must have been late 60s or so oh okay so they yeah. lived in ireland but they're dutch. they lived in ireland gotcha yes my mother is dutch my father's german oh okay so and i was born and raised in holland right that mm-hmm. much i knew mm-hmm. that's awesome so when did you move to berlin there was january 1st 2001 oh wow so yeah not also that quite long a while ago. already. Well, oh well, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think it's it was a uh, while ago. You're right. I mean, on January first, two thousand and eighteen, I will be in Germany for twenty years. Yeah, so sure. That's a reason to party. I think. Oh, okay. So you had already lived in. You were living not in, in Bremen earlier. In Bremen, of course. Yes, okay. That's where we moved to um, Bremen, January first, nineteen ninety-eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, let's go back for a second, though. Mm-hmm. So you play, did you always play accordion or how did you end up playing the accordion? Oh, uh, that sort of happened by accident. <clears throat> I come from a family where there was a lot of music around. My uh, grandmother was a piano player. Her parents were director and singer. In my family, my father was playing boogie woogie piano and what is this called? Mouth? Uh, harmonica. I harmonica, think. right. Uh, My mother played the piano too. Uh, My brother was playing violin. So music was always around and mostly classical, but also some traditional music like Irish traditional music or Transylvanian from my brother. And I was playing piano, classical. um, And at some point I even wanted to go to conservatory to study the piano. But so I I did go there for one year, but it was not the real uh, educational program yet. It was sort of a preparing year and they didn't want me after that anymore. So I 
was frustrated. And at the same time, my brother with his violin went to some music festival in, um, in Russia. And when he came back, he brought a tiny accordion that he had bought on the black market for 20 German mark. Um, <laughs> and me being a frustrated piano player, I picked up this little thing and went like, ee ooh, ee ooh. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I was trying to see what came out of that. And I had this uh, books with some Irish tunes and stuff. So that's what I started with. And I can't remember exactly how things went from there. But I think I I heard klezmer music before I then bought a bigger instrument. Um, but the accordion was fun and the music was fun too. It was very different from being or from, from you know, studying classical piano. So, but that's where I originally come from. Gotcha. Hmm. So there's a lot more opportunities to study the accordion formally in Europe, though, because in America, accordion has made this huge comeback. Mm-hmm. You know, my parents mm-hmm. are like, well, we had Lawrence Welk and that was terrible. And uh, so the accordion was terrible. Yeah. And, but now it's like you hear it in pop music, you hear it in like popular bands. Obviously, there's klezmer. Did you study accordion like le- private lessons or in school or something? Um, so I started out by myself, and at some point I thought, well, maybe it would be interested to interesting to to study this. Mm-hmm. So uh, I took private lessons, and after a year, I um, I I you know did this sort of exam that you do for going to a music school. And um, I started studying there, but classical accordion music, because that is what it was, right, uh, is a very different thing. And it's not something that I found myself to be interested in. And my teacher, he knew that I like folk music. So he would try to, you know, let me play pieces that were at least based on folk music, but I didn't like those <laughs> either, you know. <laughs> he was but doing his best. <laughs> he, he was, and that, that, that is, you know, I, I appreciate that. Actually, by t- uh, when I played my exam um, to, to enroll in that school, uh, I played a piece from Moskowitz. That was actually nice. Huh, yeah. nice. I should pick that up maybe. Again, which one? Do you, you remember know. which one it was? Uh, oh, that's yeah. one of my favorites. Yeah. Ah, okay. It weirdly works on trombone. Very good. So we yeah. need to play that together. We'll have to play it together. Yes. Yeah. It's a lot of notes, though. <laughs> yeah. But that's also part of the fun, right? Totally. Yes. Totally. Yes. Um, no, so so after a while, I thought like, okay, this is all... I see what this is about, and this is not what I want to do. So I decided to quit and go my own way. Great. From there. And were you playing gigs? I mean, was your performing situations? Yes, that actually started already when I played uh, Quatsch, when I studied musicology. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, because the band that we had founded then, the Callis, we did little uh, gigs like, you know, playing at exhibitions or in a cafe or weddings or stuff. Really, weddings? And then, uh, well, not Jewish. Sure. Weddings, but um, yeah. And um then slowly the sort of concert thing came in, slowly, by and by. Um, yeah, but like the the real concert stuff only started when I uh, played as a duo with Christian. Yeah, so how yeah. did that get going? How did that happen? Uh, so Christian was also at this workshop in Bad Piemont. Mm-hmm. So um, we knew each other from there. And um, Brave Old World had been teaching, and I was very impressed by Alan Byrne, and he was in Bremen at the time. Oh, okay. So that's not too far from Holland. Wait, Christian was in Bremen or Alan was in Bremen? Both. Whoa. Whoa. (laughs) Right. Right. But they didn't know each other at Uh the time either, right? Um, Yes. So Bremen is not too far from Holland, and I thought it would be interesting to go to Bremen to have lessons from Alan. Mm-hmm. So I went there um, and then he he was working as a musical person at the Bremen Theater at the time. And he was doing the Three Penny Opera there. And he asked, like, would you like to be in the orchestra? So uh, I was like, whoa, that's a once, how do you call it? Once in a lifetime sure. chance? Yeah, that's right. It. Yeah. So, um, what was really good that I 
that it sort of was constructed in a way that it could be part of my studies in Holland. That mm. was really perfect. Whoa. Um, and then Christian was in the Three Penny Opera uh, too, in that orchestra. So we knew each other from Bad Piemont from that workshop and we started playing together as a duo. And we thought like, wow, this is fun. Let's yeah. continue. And then, it, right. and then it continued for a while. It did for quite a while. Yeah. Yes. And now you're playing together again too, but in a trio. Yes. yes. That's cool. And occasionally we also still do duo. Things, really? Someone asks you. Yes. If if someone asks, then we'll do that. It's not something that we're after ourselves, but um, yeah, mainly as a trio, but sometimes still as a duo. spot for a pause uh, put some okay. music in right put the the hamisher yes you know for put example. That, that that crazy track yeah yeah That's so you pretty... guys worked as a duo how so how so let's see. You started Hoppa when you think? Oh, that's funny because your first band was Dicalis, and then yeah, Hoppa. it's so yeah. You're always, I you know. Got a wedding and then theme. I played all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then after that, I played in Suka. So it's all a bit. Yeah, well, uh, Suka is at least a different. That's not wedding. Yeah, but related. it's also oh, it's about something being you're covered. under, right? Yeah, that's right. So, <laughs> yes. I see. There's a slow progression. Right. Like one right. thing. Hmm. That's awesome. Um, so yeah. So when did that? When? When? About when did you form the duo? That was, let me think, the Three Penny Opera started in, I think, 1996. So we started in 1996, I think, in April 27. Oh, wow. I think that's the date where we, or maybe I'm mixing up things. I don't know. But I think that was, oh, I think I'm mixing up something. Whatever. But but spring, <laughs> spring was the time where we said, like, okay, we're going to And you said, we want to play concerts. We want to make a living from this. We want to do... I mean, what, what goals did you think you could have? I don't even know whether at that time I was or we were consciously thinking about... I, I just wanted to learn about this music and to, to play it as much as possible and to learn and to develop. So did you have to like... Were you working other jobs or were you a student or something? I was still a student, mm -hmm. but not that long anymore because then I got pregnant. So, yes. <laughs> yes, things went pretty fast, actually, or Sounds happened like pretty it. fast. Yeah, I, w I was a mother and a musician. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And but I would still travel to Holland to play gigs with Nicolas mm -hmm. also. Uh, but when then, after a pretty short while, I got pregnant again. Then I decided to give up on on the Dutch gigs. Okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So. So. How long did it take to get moving? I mean, what was the klezmer scene like in the late 90s in Germany? Um, hmm. Like professionally, you know, was it easy to get gigs? Did gigs pay well? What was happening? I think in a way it was easier than now, maybe. Because it, it, the klezmer boom was going on, right? The boom. The klezmer boom. Yeah, it, um, it felt like it. I mean, I didn't yeah. know about it. It feels like it looking back, I think, yeah. for me. Yeah. And... Where we were in Bremen at first, <clears throat> there there were not so much klezmer bands around. So that is where we got to play regularly. And also as a duo, it was a good format actually because it was perfect for little concert series that mainly play classical music, but every now and then want to try something else or want to offer their audience, uh, you know, something different. Nice. So, uh, yeah, because it has this, like a duo, you, it has this chamber musical yeah. aspect to it. So, so that was really good. And every now and then we would travel to Berlin because at that time there was the Hakasho Hof Theater, which was like the address for klezmer music and Yiddish culture, either theater or music and songs. So um, 
they had this series in summer where you could, you know, you could ask whether you can play there. And when you were lucky, you got several days in a row. Whoa. Uh, yeah. And there was a lot of audience most of the time because it was really central at a place where there was a lot of tourism going on. Is it like also. a Hakusha market? Yes. Stop? It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's where it is. And sometimes the place was, you know, like full house uh, many, many times. And uh, that was a really good time <laughs> yes yeah. mm. i have a bunch of friends i mean i've heard about it from you and i've heard about it from other people in the mm. scene that i've worked with but i remember i stayed for about a week with this drummer who was a avant-garde jazz drummer okay and i was going through a cd collection and i saw klezmer band i forget what it was called uh-huh. but he just said yeah in the 90s you could just be as long as you put klezmer in your name you could get ah, gigs okay and make money okay so i i mean he must have liked it a little bit but i think this idea it seemed to me he was saying this stuff was just everywhere, and yeah. it was like, what do they say, pumping. Like, it was just, right. you know, right. you could right. do anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think in a way it was also like like um, the Hakusho Hof Theater as it was then, right? You know, if you want Klezmer, that's where you go. Mm. Uh, at some point it had to give up. And um, there's not a place like that anymore in Berlin. I mean, there's different stuff. There's the sessions going on now, the, the Neukölln Klezmer sessions. Um, but it's still different, right? There's yeah, not I like... think he, he, it's pretty similar here. Like, it seems like it used to be that you would play a concert and get money. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, it's a little more do-it-yourself. Yeah. You know, but there's yeah. a lot of good stuff going on here. Yeah. There's a lot of good stuff in New York. I'm mm-hmm. involved in a lot of good stuff in Philadelphia. I mean, Boston is an interesting thing. I think there are some other centers, right? you know, uh, is a little bit... I don't know what's happening in Chicago, but there's mm-hmm. some good musicians out there, you know. But in Berlin's really uh, thriving right now. Yes, it is. So please come visit. I want in to. In February. Oh, I don't know. I have to call. Change <laughs> okay. my plans. <laughs> I know. I know, but it would be so much fun to have you yeah. around. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I remember I, did, I got to do one, but that was like four years ago. Wow. That must have been one of the first then. Yeah. Because I think the next session is December 6th or something, and that is, I think, four, year th- uh, four years anniversary. Oh, wow. So this was... So uh, well, I think this there. was the other session that was led not by Hampus and... But ah. with the clarinet player whose name I can't remember. Clarinet player who's uh, or violinist probably. Yes, more you mean uh, you mean the klezmer lounge. Yeah, it was, was some called. bar. You had to like. Yes. I think you went downstairs and yes. then you and the whole family showed up and surprised okay. me. <laughs> Hello, Dan. Yeah. Yeah. No, European travel has changed a lot. Mm-hmm. I used to go over all the time. Right. You know. Right. Did, but you never were coming here regularly. No, I mean, when the kids were small, it was more complicated anyway. Sure. Um, I have been to some class camps, but that was it. I think I was at Ashkenaz once, but it's like the other side of the world. It's not, you know, (laughs) it's not like, okay, I feel like going to New York now. I'm... Yeah, there's you know, also no... There, you need a good reason. And there's no New York State funding that says... No. Here's your plane <laughs> ticket. You can come over. Unfortunately. Yeah. to some of the stuff when you were learning this music like you how long had you i mean brave old world is a band that was sort of based in europe in a Mm -hmm. lot of ways i mean a lot of the musicians lived here most of the musicians lived here but alan lived in europe and it sounded like most of i'll have to talk to them about this but it sounded like most of their concert career was in europe Yeah. yeah so you were able to experience they were american but and they also were sort of 
pioneering this new co- version of concert klezmer that mm-hmm. was more classical in its presentation in some way. Right. I mean, whatever. I don't want to make grand statements and then have to take them back later. Mm-hmm. But um, so, but what was it? When did you? And you grew up playing. I mean, you came up playing klezmer, that kind of klezmer, more or less. And the kind of klezmer that you and Christian played was more concert style, also. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when did you start? Like, what was it like to come to Klez Camp, for example, and experience this completely different way of playing the music? Because it must have felt pretty different or sounded pretty different. Yes, but I think I knew you're referring to the like the American. Yeah, or just the, the fact that Klez Camp on its own was more of a ragtag. I mean, you had also the club date vibe, you know, like these yeah. people who had, the older guys who had come up playing these things, right. music primarily at weddings and yeah. functions and stuff. Yeah. And then also there was a lot more of a folky yeah. kind of thing going yeah. on at a place like Klez Camp. Right, right. But you said you kind of already knew about it. Um, yeah, but I mean, Klez Camp was like, whoa, you know, I mean, we don't have anything like that. Yeah. And it was very special to be so strongly within the scene. I mean, we have our scene over there, but it's very different from here where it's a live culture, hmm. right? Babies and older people and everybody's there and uh, there's music all around and dances and people know how to dance the dances. They don't need to learn them first, you know, that that sort of thing. Um, and all the different features like dance, language, music, uh paper cutting, food, and all of that, right? So this whole culture that embodies different things, you know, that was overwhelming by itself already. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So you're just like, wow, I can do everything or everything's happening There was once. Not, not enough time to do everything that I would have wanted to do, you yeah. know? But it was very, very nice. And um, I myself very much like the what i call the american or what i refer to as the american style i i come from okay i come from europe and i've been you know working with the historical recordings like all of us and that sort of stuff but um but after having been in this music for so long i actually uh at some point mm, yeah found out that i that that is the style that i actually like best hmm that's cool. Yeah, I think that I think so too. Hmm. For whatever reason, for me personally, you know, Michael Winograd was like a big reason why I got so invested in the music because yeah. he was just so invested yeah. and playing so excellently. Hmm. Um, you know, even back in college, like around two when I met him like two thousand two or something like that. But we went through phases. You know, there was yeah. this like Merlin Shepherd inspired European phase, like mm-hmm. let's just play one chord the entire time. Uh, and, right. And then uh, you know, there was the sort of Frank London phase, although I kind of skipped it a little more in the sense that I kind of just went and play was playing with him. Um, and there was the jazz ver- version of things. And then I think recently, you know, this record we're working on right now is very mm-hmm. intensely American style. Yes. And I don't know if it's the same for Winograd, but playing a lot with Pete Socolo and sort of really embracing this thing. It's also very, for him, it's a very New York style. Like this is something that really is from New York. So you could, it's kind of like as direct as you want to get. And, you know, being from Philly, I got to play with Elaine Hoffman Watts Mm. and Susan Watts a lot. Mm. And so that was a Philly style, but it was actually different because I found out that the Philly style that they played was more like this, their family style. Right. Because Elaine didn't play the gigs mm-hmm. because they wouldn't let her because she was a woman. Ah, uh, of course. Yeah. Mm. So I met these older male musicians who were actually the guys who were on the bunch of the club date, like the weddings and bar mitzvahs yeah. and stuff. And it's not much different, but it's just that it's separate. Like, mm-hmm. And I had never met them before. I've been knowing Elaine and Susan for years. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, Elaine, why don't, why don't I know this guy? He's like for real. He's a real deal Klezmer musician. And she's like, oh, the reason why I've never hired him is because he told me he would never hire me because I was a woman. Okay. And I'm like, yep, it's a good thing you never hired him. (laughs) (laughs) That was extremely okay. I'm glad glad she did that. So there, 
the real professional connection mm-hmm. is still here in New York. Right. You know, right. and um, that's super interesting. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Well, the the faces that you mentioned are also really interesting. I'm, I'm trying to think whether I had a similar thing. Um, so, so at first, you know, Brave Old World, but with that, at the same time, the historical recordings, because yeah, that's, that's what they came up with during the workshops. And, um, they were all so generous in sharing information. Mm. That was really nice. And then also just get the chance to play with them for dance workshops, for example, or to hang out. I remember being with, with Kurt at the Vondelpark in Amsterdam, busking, that sort of thing. No kidding. Really, really nice. Um, yes, just hanging out and having a good time and at the same time learning a lot, you know. So that that is where, where it started for me. But I remember by and by really being interested in and learning from... Um, maybe people's particular instrumental styles. Like I remember being in Weimar at some some of the workshops. Uh, I was, I think officially it's called co-teaching or something, but I call it assistancy, musical assistancy, mm-hmm. uh, in Stuart Brodman's class. So I was to play the melody so the bass players know what they're playing to, you know. Yeah. And that was really nice because I learned so much myself at the same time you know and i also think i was in your class once <laughs> in weimar do you remember that in like 2008 or something i have no idea i mix up all uh, the years and the, i mean and it was, the i was only there 2008 2009 okay so then it must have one been of one years. of those okay. years so you were in my, i was teaching the class i would prefer to go to a trombone class <laughs> as to a melody class or something i don't know if know. there were any trombonists there though Maybe, maybe some Ryan. Or I don't some, know. Yeah, yeah. One of these people. Mm. It's such a small scene, too. You yes. know, it's so funny yes. that. Yeah. Uh, well, I was just thinking about like what was the first. Do you remember any like klezmer tunes from that first workshop? From the very first workshop, I remember what was referred to as Hoffman's Hora. Mm-hmm. You know wh- which one I mean? I don't know by name. Uh, yum, oh yeah, that yep. one, and. Um, I think also. I, I don't know the titles which, and stuff. I can kind of which picture which which of those people were teaching each of those tunes. Right, right. Yeah, hmm. we play that first one. I, I I think I hope it's a Hoffman is in like the Hoffman, you know, our Hoffmans. I'm pretty sure. So that's good because yeah. we play. I have a band in Philly, and that's like one of our main tunes. So like, let's say it's about. You know, you moved to Berlin, you said 2001. Hmm. And are you touring a lot? Are you playing a lot of concerts? Like, what does it look like when things are really busy? How many concerts a year? Oh, things like that. Mm. Um, I haven't been, like, counting. And mostly it's in vases. You know, sometimes there's yeah. face, faces, faces, yeah. faces, not vase. That's yeah. where the flowers are in. Right? That's right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, so sometimes there's a month with hardly anything going on, and then there's like six weeks where, you know, you, where it's just a little much, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially, so I'm I'm in three bands. So this is Trio Yas. Mm-hmm. You should know from it, mm-hmm. and Glesgoim, which is actually Christian's very first band right. in Bremen. So those are are the bands I'm a steady member of. But then there's also subbing or mm-hmm. maybe a workshop or whatever. And sometimes I find myself in situations where I have like five different repertoires within one month or so. And sure. and that's moments where I'm where I prefer not to look at my calendar because I will panic. That's not your thing. No, I I I know I just have to take things step by step. Gotcha. But I find it hard sometimes. Yeah. But was there a time you know, say in the late nineties or early two thousands, when you were just doing chupa, like over, like really busy, did that ever happen, or was it sort of always more an intermittent thing? I think no. I think that was at the uh, at the very beginning, so early two thousands. Chupa was my only band, and one band was enough because with two kids, you know, that's uh, that's enough. So then it was only chupa, and those were pretty good times. But of course, we were not on the road like every weekend or so. You know, that would be too 
too much, especially with mm -hmm. the kids, because you always needed to find out like, okay, where do the kids go when we play? Sometimes they would come with us. Um, there's even a picture somewhere of Christian playing the clarinet and Sarah being tied up to his body, mm. you know? Um, yeah, so it was always an organizational of course. challenge. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, but at that time, for me, the main band was Groepe, and I think we were doing uh, pretty well, yeah. And then by and by, when we moved to Berlin, which was after three years of having been in Bremen, that's also when Christian started to play with Budowitz, for mm -hmm. example, That's where Suke then was founded with Heiko Lehmann and Claudia Koch. Uh, and then later with Merlin Shepard. Yeah, and then it got more and more bands somehow. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking about it because I know even in Philadelphia, talked to some of the guys who really have only played klezmer in weddings, you know, for gig situations, mm -hmm. not necessarily much in an artistic way as much. It wasn't as big of a focus for them, but they were working a ton And they had, you know, they were making, you know, what we call middle class livings, like, you know, making money, having no problem and not having to think about where the money, where the gig's coming from, where right. the money is coming from. Right. And that's certainly not what it looks like now. Even for them, no. it doesn't look like that. No. And it's never looked like that for me, although maybe a very little bit. But I think I was like 23 and expenses aren't okay. really an issue. <laughs> no, that's 23. true. That's true. But okay. was there a time like that when it no. just, no, it no, always it was, was sort always of, like, you know, Getting around as a musician is always, uh, mm -hmm. or you call it getting around. I don't sure. know. Just ma to make a living as a musician yeah. is always a challenge, and and uh, yeah, there's better times, there's worse times. Uh, there have been times, not too long ago actually, like maybe five, six years ago or something. No, four or five years ago, where I did have a day job also. Oh, okay. Because otherwise there was no chance. Sure. But, yeah. Hmm. hmm. But I was really happy to be able to give that up. Oh, yeah. But for next year, things look different again, so we'll <laughs> <No>. see. <laughs> It's very bad. Whatever. Yeah, I know. But at least at least you guys don't have to worry about health insurance. No. Thank God. Oh, God. No, and I, I also come from... Um, my, both my parents were freelance uh, workers. Okay. So that is also helpful. I learned that somehow it works. You know, yeah. there's better times, there's worse times, but somehow it, it will work. So I'm not panicking straight away that's great yeah yeah no. um i was once told by one of my teachers that it's like being a farmer you mm -hmm. know some years you get a good crop right some years you get yeah. a good crop but no one wants to buy it right you right know, some and years get a depends bad crop on on things that you are not responsible for yeah like the totally. weather you cannot decide what the weather does right but you're right. still you just kind of got to do your best idea of things mm -hmm. i mean i will say there are some people out there who really seem like they know what the weather is but maybe <laughs> right. the grass is always greener right yeah like i'm learning true. a lot talking to you right now hmm. from what it looked like to me you know like oh they have this great apartment in berlin like the kids are going well and like so much of that is the social structure that you yes, have in germany very much and then so much of it is the fact that like Maybe just that you're more calm about it because you come from a freelancer world. Yeah, maybe. I, th I think it, it is somehow something in my inner a big uh, uh, attitude that is helpful here. You know, I have friends who never could live like I live. They need to have like financial security. Otherwise, yeah. they, you know, um, <laughs> so that is helpful. But of course, also in Germany, I mean, with housing, um, you mentioned my apartment. Uh, it's just also about being really, really lucky about, by coincidence, getting an apartment in this co-op house, you know. Right. So um, that was just very a very lucky thing to happen yeah. and very helpful thing It's to great happen. Spot. <laughs> yes. I'm glad you still have it. Yeah. Mm. <laughs>
So one thing I was thinking about going back to the first Klez camp, you talked about mm. how there was it was overwhelming and all these people. And it's funny that you mentioned people knew how to dance the dances because that's not what it feels like to me. Okay. But but what happens here is that doesn't really happen in Europe is that it's mostly Jews. Yes. Right. Yes. What did that feel like? Is that something you noticed or? Um, I was very aware of that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but. Of course, it it's, you know, this music comes from Jewish culture, so sure. of course, and and maybe it's the other way around that that I sometimes find it, uh, or I, mm, let's say sometimes I wonder myself how this music came to um, form such a big part of my life. Whereas nothing in my own background is Jewish, but still, this music coming from a Jewish culture is um, has been forming my life on on many very um, important levels. Yeah, you know, like where I live, my my family, what I do, it's it's all because of that music. Mm. So that is, you know, you know what I mean by yeah. turning the question around. So sometimes I wonder myself, like, hey, how how did that happen? Is that weird? Yes, it is. Yeah, I think it's weird you for know? all of us, though. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, because even those of us who are Jewish, I didn't grow up with this stuff. I mm. mean, I grew up with stuff that would like 30 to 40% similar. Yeah. You know, but you could also say that if you listen to Baroque music, it's like 25 to 30% similar. Right. So who knows? Right. But it just, you know, uh, what, what did some, someone on another episode, Mark Slobin, said, sometimes mm-hmm. it just catches you. Yeah, and you know, you just you just go with it. I'm glad you went with it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, <laughs> yes, very much. So. <laughs> yeah, but it's mm. so interesting being in America, especially nowadays. But thinking about, you know, this was like this big phenomenon, mostly in the Jewish community, or at least in sort of some of the more folky or you know adventurous parts of the Jewish community. And then in Europe, it's really like I mean, this is not a new thought, but it's really come in from the music itself yes yes i think for most people maybe not for all but but that's also something that i i can't say anything right about really i mean i have to say in a certain so i'm half dutch half german Mm -hmm. but when it comes to certain issues i'm really happy to be able to say I'm Dutch. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I remember this specifically from some class camp discussion about klezmer music being played in Germany. Oh, sure. And on stage it was Christian, Heiko, and Andreas Schmidtkes, and me. And I haven't said one word because I just felt so very, very um, uh, uncomfortable because... The atmosphere was just. People probably had weird. a lot of feelings. Yes, definitely, uh, and that was, for example, such such an a thing where I was just really happy to be able to say, "People, I don't have anything to do with it. I'm from Holland." <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm uh, you know, it'll always be there. But we 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 got we've done a lot of things since then. Yeah. But it's just so interesting because I'm really one of the things I'm thinking about a lot in doing these conversations is like, how did this music become a global phenomenon? Hmm. You know, because it's not now you have this like whole contingent of folks in Japan, you know. Right. And it, it, yeah. it's really not in a lot of ways. It's not just like a music. It's certainly not a music for Jews by Jews hmm. in which. Hmm. But then it's funny because you talk to like Zev Feldman and he says, well, in Moldova, it was never just that anyway. And so history is always repeating itself and we Mm -hmm. get to sort of pick and choose our best, what we like best. Right. You know. Yeah. But it definitely is something to me, it feels like it's something different than it was before. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not music for the Jewish community. It's like music that has reached lots of people from lots of different ways. Yes. And there's just yes. something about the sound that really captivates a certain kind of person. Yes. I mean, if, if I think back of, you know, as I mentioned, uh, that documentary, Jumping Night in the Garden of Eden, I couldn't tell why that just grabbed me so strongly. You know, I, there, there's not 
like a, a rational explanation I have for that. I just know that it did. You know, the sound was sort of familiar because of the, the Transylvanian music my brother was playing. Um, but, you know, I I don't know where that came from. I just knew like, whoa, this is what I really, really would like to do without being able to explain why in a rational way. Yeah, it's so, crazy. <laughs> you know? yeah, but it could have been Irish music too, or I don't know, you know, whatever. But it, it wasn't, it was that music. And I know, yeah, it, it, it is a very popular music, as you say, like now Japan or... Um, yeah, I mean, it's... I wouldn't say it's 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 very the 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 support is very broad, right? But it's, I don't know. Right. It's uh, there's there's not that many people doing it in any one place. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. and it's interesting for me because there's in my life there's sort of a new relationship with Jewish with an organized religious community and bringing it into a religious community. Hmm. And what does that mean? Because for so much of the time, I'm sort of like I play klezmer music for musicians right. or with musicians, as opposed yeah. to like this klezmer music is like a part of our Jewish culture. Mm -hmm. You know, it is. It always was, and that's definitely it for me, but it You're wasn't right. like something I was actively promoting, and in a way, that's changing. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. But, of course, I still get to, like, go hang out and play whatever I want. Yes. You know? Yes. What's going on there? I mean, a lot of people have moved there from all over Europe, right? That is true. <clears throat> so there's not a thing like the Hakkasehof Theater anymore. There's still some other addresses that will have Klezmer concerts every now and then. Um, there's, or I have to say, there have been three different sessions. So one is the Neukölln Klezmer session. Uh, organized by the Oblomov Trio, which is Hampus, Emil, Goldschmidt, and Ilya. Um, then there's the Klezmer Lounge, where you have been, organized from Matthias Gro. He's a violin player that used to play in the band called La Ohm, which okay. was also one of Berlin's first Klezmer bands. Oh, yeah, it was definitely him. Yeah, right, I remember. right. He's a very enthusiastic oh, yeah. guy. Oh, yeah, yes. I remember that. Um, but that session is um hibernating right now um and then there's this uh thing called klezmer stammtisch which has been going on for i think 20 years or so whoa or maybe 15 maybe but something like that um which i think actually also was founded by matthias gro and franca lampe mm -hmm. And um, that was the very first Klezmer session in Berlin. Oh, okay. But they're going to have their, this month, it's going to be the last ever Klezmer Stammtisch because the cafe is closing down. Wow, in one yes. place for 20 years. Yes. That's amazing. Yes, that's quite something. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe it's a little shorter, but it's still impressive. Yeah. Yeah. So those three sessions... Um, you know, would offer a possibility to go hang out, play music, hear music. Hmm. Was that a part of your life when you moved there, or was it mostly like, oh, I have kids? Mm, well, I, sp I definitely spent many hours on the playground. Um, <laughs> God, so many hours. But the good thing was there, well were, some, there were some Klezmer colleagues on the playground, too. Oh, good. So that was good. <laughs> uh, yes, members from the uh, former East Berlin Band, mm -hmm. Aufwind. Aufwind, yeah. Yes. Uh, so Claudia Koch's son and my son, they go in the same oh, class cool. to school. Yeah. No kidding. That's sweet. Yeah, I, I did go to some sessions, but not... At some point, I sort of lost interest in mm -hmm. in in the Klesmer Stammtisch because I found that it was mostly just the same tunes. Sure. Which I did not always like. <laughs> I'm just being honest. It's okay. Yes. Um, 
the Klezmer Lounge, I like there. The concept is a little different. It's not that everybody can come and play. You sign up for a date. And okay. Matthias, he forms a band of the people who signed up. And often there will also be a specific focus. It can be either traditional Klezmer or it can be Balkan grooves or it can be oh, Greco-Turkish uh, or poppy, you know, with, with uh, electrical bass and drums or something. Oh, interesting. Um yeah, and then also the repertoire is uh, agreed upon beforehand. Okay. You know, but um, so that's a little different concept, but that is nice because you often get to play with people that you normally don't get to play with, you know. And then the the Neukölln Klezmer session, that is outrageous. <laughs> because I've seen it's, videos, it's nuts. Oh God, it is. Um, it's in this space, it's completely completely crowded there will be at least like 15 musicians all cramped together you know um even with with people coming from other places just for you know other places in germany just for the session wow for that one evening um yes it's steaming hot and uh, the audience is young which is really exceptional in, in germany i don't know how it is here uh, with audiences but yeah it's still pretty exceptional <laughs> 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 so, and there are people are sitting on the floor right Amazing. Um, young people uh, just hanging out and enjoying the music it's maybe exciting. do a little dancing and stuff yeah. yes really nice wow that's cool mm-hmm. and you've not you haven't really composed a lot of stuff um, only secretly. <laughs> only <No>. secretly. Okay, <laughs> we got to bring it out into the light, Uh-oh. Sana. <laughs> no, so so um, a while ago I got the uh, possibility to play at the accordion festival in Vienna, and it was to bring a project that I like. And I thought, okay, if I don't grab this chance to do what I maybe already have been wanting to do for a while which is you know maybe play some own tunes so that's that is what i did we were four musicians um, guy shalom and then two of my bremen colleagues who no one of the scene will know but mm. um two of my bremen colleagues and we played some greek tunes or i sang some greek songs actually maybe two klezmer tunes or something but not more than that uh, and and tunes of me that you wrote of mine, yes, yes. But I'm I'm just really not good in marketing or that sort of stuff. So we did it's that, okay. and we did one other concert, and that sort of was it. Well, I want to hear more about. I mean, I want to hear it, but only, so are this is it like klezmer stylistic tunes um, like Michael's doing, or were they songs? Like what was what was the music? No, like? I think um, yeah, good question. I think. I mean, it wasn't that much tunes, but uh, I think some of them were like definitely klezmer inspired. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, hmm, hard to describe. I never thought of how to describe it. Mm, maybe some some Balkan features, but more in the, in the sense of like like harmonization or mm-hmm. you know. And I don't mean diminished chords and stuff, but just like like. Or maybe that is even like like in, in Klezmer. Like the drony kind of stuff or something? Yeah, in a way. And also just like 171, or I don't know how you call mm-hmm. this here. Sure, but yeah, no, that, that's, that's, that, that sort of uh that sort of thing. Or something yeah. with a with a you know funky um groove. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of, of how to describe uh you see my movements. No, right I now, wish but, I was just thinking um, like we I, I had to tell everybody you, you you'd understand it if you could see it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh no, so yes, um definitely inspired by the music that I have been playing over the years. That's great. Yes. Yeah, so, maybe. Well I, I I will do a little solo show in April, I think, in Bremen. Um, and I thought that might be a good opportunity to get those yeah. out there again. Well, yes. I'll tell you what, if you need a trombone on anything, just let me know. I'll be I there. will call you right away. That's right. Yes. I think, you know, I can speak for myself, but I bet a lot of us would be very excited to hear your original mm-hmm. music. Mm-hmm. Oh. It's about time. Well, not in a, not in a pushy I'm, way, just like. No, no, but I'm we're shy really with excited. stuff like that. It's okay. That's, you know. 
you know, you don't have, you're not, you're not the band leader here. No, 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 no. I, I, I'm, I'm a side woman. Yeah. I would say okay. I, I, I'm also, sometimes I'm amazed to find myself on stage actually, because I don't necessarily like to be in the spotlights or something. Um, but I think the position of, of being an, I, I see myself as an accompanist. Yeah. I'm, mm. I'm not like a melodist, as we as one would call it in German, but um, <laughs> I I like accompanying because I I sort of see it as it has two layers. Like one is the layer like of providing um, a strong basis mm -hmm. where the people playing melody can rely on, but at the same time you're also reacting on what is going on. So yeah. It's sort of a double-layered thing, yeah. and you have to think in a little bit, like, um, yeah, in, in different directions somehow. A little bit uh, up front. No, is that the word? No. But you have to think in advance, I think. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that yes, makes sense. Yes. Um, but also then reacting on what is going on is thinking... Not in advance, but yeah. how is that called? I don't know, in the past or something. Yeah, you but, know, but you know what behind. I mean? Yeah. So that well, is I know what, what I, you mean, yeah. That is what I like very much. I think so, too. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I realized a long time ago that the thing that I like to do is improvise. Mm -hmm. You know, I am an improviser. And the thing is, in all the music I play, I improvise a lot. Yeah. And so in Klezmer, you're improvising a lot. And this is a lot of what, it, what I love about Klezmer is mm -hmm. that you get to improvise a lot, but with pretty rigid rules well it's interesting that you call it improvising because sometimes this this word comes up and i i see it sure i see it more as variation although in your role that's probably not true i mean as, as when you play the melody in klezmer music you can make variations but you're not at much improvising right mm -hmm. or yeah. that's that's how sure but when you get a chord sheet, then you can decide how you how you fill that in, right? Well, so that is much more notes, of improvisation, right? Yes, because right. I'm not playing. It's not so strict what mm -hmm. I'm playing, and I can't play more than one note at a time. <laughs> no, I mean that's a different oh. Sometimes story. I wish I could not play more than one note at a time. Yeah, you should pick up trombone. Well, if I was if I was to choose again, yeah, right, to play an instrument, it would either be slide trombone or bagpipe. Oh, great. <laughs> I really like those instruments. Yeah, I think it's really great to be an accompanist. It's fun. It is fun, definitely. Yeah. You know, more people in life should have the experience of just supporting somebody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like just being in the... I don't need to be in the, you know, up front there. I like being in the back, and but doing my thing. Yeah. Um, you know. Awesome. So I think we did it. Thanks so much for talking, okay. Sana. What my a great pleasure. thing. Thank you to Michael Winograd for making sure we were able to get into the same room. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. And I'm looking forward to playing music with you all. Oh week. yes, That's tonight. Give me the fun part, and then for the next three days. Yes. Woohoo! Yes. You. Yes. High five. <laughs> That's <Okay>. right. <laughs> okay. Well, that's my conversation with Sana, and that was really fun. Talking with her really reminded me why I started this podcast. I got to learn a lot about how she learned Klezmer and how she got into it in the first place, and just a lot about her life that I actually didn't know anything about. We spent a lot of time together over the years at festivals and hung out, especially with her and her kids, and we never really got to sit down and just talk about her and her music and where she's coming from, and I never knew that she had composed some tunes, which is awesome. So yeah. You can find out more about Sana and where she's playing, especially if you're in Central Europe, at sanamurica.com. That's S-A-N-N-E-M-O-E-R-I-C-K-E dot weebly dot com. And I should mention that the music that you're listening to behind me right now is from her new CD with Trio Yas. That's with her and Christian David on clarinet and Guy Shalom on drums called Get Up, the dance album. And that's going to be out on March 9th, and they'll be performing at the Furt Festival in Furt, Germany. So if you're anywhere around there, go check it out. Uh, I wish I could go see it. Well, that's it for this episode. 
We've got a bunch more episodes coming. In two weeks, I'll be sharing my conversation with the one and only Susan Watts, the legendary Susan Hoffman Lankin Watts. And that's going to be a really good one. So I hope that you all stay tuned in. And good Shabbos. Shabbos.